Welcome to the Religion and Story podcast. On this week's episode, we are going to talk about the New Testament and the Old Testament. Uh, we spend plenty of time studying both, reading both, and for some reason, we keep coming back to the idea that they are different from each other. Uh, how should we study these two, uh, two seemingly very different uh, revelations from God? And what do the differences have to inform within our faith? So let's get started with that basic question of how are they different? Daniel, what do you think? Um, I, it's probably not best to identify or relate to the earliest Christian heretic, Marcion. <laughs> but in some ways, I think he's worth citing at this point. Marcion, if you're not aware, is the earliest Christian heretic that we have a, a name for. And Marcion believed that the, the Jewish heritage of the Christian religion was something to be rejected, maybe something to be ashamed of. And the version of Christianity that he offered up was one completely devoid of that heritage. And he did that because he viewed the, the God of the Old Testament, the, the Jewish God, Hebrew God, to be um, a different God than the God that we see in the New Testament, um, the God presented to us through Jesus. And in some ways, his criticism is understandable because uh, when we look at the Old Testament, we see a lot more, uh, at least uh, in words and pages of the Old Testament, focused on God's wrath, and his sense of justice, which usually entails uh, violence or destruction. Um, and that view of God seems very different from the God epitomized in the New Testament at, in the parable of the lost sheep or the prodigal son and the endless teaching on grace that Paul gives us throughout his epistles. And while well, I'm certain that we'll get into it in the rest of this podcast, if those, if those are character, uh, caricatures of the Old and New Testament or if those are accurate, um, we can at least see that difference um, coming out. In Old Testament, where we get a lot more warfare uh, in this rising of the Israelite nation, while we get this ultimate act of service and of mercy and grace in the ministry of Jesus. Stephen, uh, is that, does that entail the differences between the Old and New Testament, or is there more to be found there? Is there more that divides those two? Um, so one of the transitions that's made between Old Testament and New Testament that uh, originally for me when I was younger, I had a little bit difficult time uh, trying to grasp God's people transitioning from Israel to the church, and I was under the understanding of, well, or at least my impression was, God is forsaking these people and uh, coming to uh, rescue the Gentiles, but that's obviously not the case where he is expanding uh, who his people were, and uh, but all people, as we can see in the scripture, are given the opportunity to come to God. Um, and so uh, seeing that God is taking these, uh, his people, being the Israelites in the Old Testament, and 
going with them through their journeys over hundreds of years uh, and even before that thousands of years with just the patriarchs and uh, anybody that would follow him that were considered righteous individuals um, and just seeing how God works through individual people where you see that a lot more in the Old Testament where there's stories about specific events, specific people, families, and a nation where God is working through them and it's all building up to the church and how we are, we all have an open invitation. So once we can see that transition, it's all a story. I mean, that's a very popular catchphrase that a lot of ministers are using these days, the story that's going on or the narrative in scripture. We've mentioned that quite a few times in our podcast. So that is one of the main things that I have come to uh, recognize is that transition between the Old Testament and New Testament. Michael? So to state the obvious, the the most obvious transition between the Old Testament and the New Testament is, is God with us, Emmanuel, Jesus, um, that God came and lived amongst us. Um, and so I think even the most conservative Christian who would, Daniel, as you pointed out, that, that would totally disagree with Marcion would have to admit that the game plan that God uses, um, it, it's not that it changed per se, because God had always planned, God always knew that uh, the sacrifice of his, uh, God the Father knew that, that his, his, the sacrifice of God the Son would be needed, um, but that was not the way that, uh, that God was showing himself, revealing himself in uh, the Old Testament, in the beginning history of the world, from, from the beginning all the way until the incarnation of God through Jesus. And so we have to admit that God, uh, God does pivot, if you will, that God, uh, God goes into the, the end game of what his plan would be. And so part of me wonders how we think about, how we think about the actions of God knowing what he, he knew he was going to do you know, thousands of years later. Um, how, Daniel, you brought up, you know, how do we think about um, the, the violent acts that uh, God call, calls on his people to do, whereas when people behave that way in the New Testament, he sends out people to go and to forgive them. Now, of course, we could go to stories like Jonah, where God tries to do the same thing that God tries to send his, his servant out, his messenger out to preach forgiveness or preach repentance that will lead to forgiveness. And so we see a lot of overlap between uh, the way that God operates in both. But Daniel, you're right that there are very distinct characteristics between the two. Part of me, just to jump to a conclusion, and we can talk more about why we think these things occur this way, I think part of the reason why this occurs is because uh, the Old Testament God has not been appeased by the blood of the perfect sacrifice. 
And so uh, when there is wrong at the nation level done, blood has to be paid. Uh, justice has to be done. And so God often will use Israel as his, his sword, his, his strong arm of justice. But oftentimes he uses other awful nations to act against uh, idolatry, um, you know, bringing in Nebuchadnezzar to act as his sword uh, in the land. Ezekiel talks about that. Um, so th there is definite, uh, the, the, the ideals of God do not change, but the way that we see them does seem to manifest differently pre-sacrifice of Christ versus post-sacrifice of Christ. I'd like to offer you a chance to just to clarify something for me. So okay. in this podcast, I think when we were talking about politics or something along those lines, and we were talking about how um, taking uh, life be, uh, from a, a commandment of God, uh, and so you're saying that God required blood during the Old Testament because Jesus's blood had not come to fruition yet at that point. Um, and so it's not a case of they were extremely wicked people that needed to be wiped off the face of the earth type of a thing. You, you're, you're separating that? Uh, I mean, I, I suppose it. So let me say this. when So when God sends in Israel to... Uh, kill a, a, a people who had not only been idolatrous, but had sacrificed their own children, who had done abominable things, just because there is shedding of blood in battle does not mean that that blood saves them. You know, the blood of Jesus had a special property in that it had salvific, uh, salvific uh, properties to it. It, was, it, was, it had the potential to save people. Just shedding blood in battle does not do that for people. Uh, so there is a part of blood being shed that that is required for justice to be done. Right. So and, and we see a lot of changes revolving around God's judgment on people uh, versus uh, his forgiving nature. And, and you kind of hinted at it, but uh, where there's a lot of zero tolerance uh, for someone who touches the Ark of the Covenant drops dead. Uh but we also see some instances of that in the days of the early church, Ananias and Sapphira lying about their offering. They are struck dead at a moment's notice. But I think we cannot ignore the fact that God has taken a step back. I'm sure you'll probably heard explanations um, for uh, it seems like God is not as involved as he was in scripture, obviously, where there's not that direct interaction where we rely upon scripture. And then obviously there's people who have opinions that are going to differ because they believe that God speaks to them in all sorts of ways, which I don't necessarily agree with those. I'm not sure what y'all's viewpoints are on that, but God's interaction with people, how it has definitely changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and then to modern day. So how, how would you all describe that transition? Daniel, you got any thoughts? Um, so I'll say something about what Michael was talking about early, earlier, and we can come back to this and expound on this idea. Mm -hmm. I, I think there, uh, one potential solution worth considering 
is the idea of um, progressive revelation that all God does not change in his nature, that God communicates himself and the biblical witness understands God in a progressive fashion. Uh, one way of stating that, and this you don't have to follow this particular version, but one way of stating that would be that the earliest religion that we get in the Bible is not the purest or the best religion, but it gets progressively better. Though, I mean, you might make the case that Apex is at Christ and maybe declines after that. Um, we'll come back to discuss that more, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, about your, your comment, Stephen, um, we should probably have a whole podcast on cessationism and the uh, ceasing of miraculous gifts and just miracles in general, which has been a popular topic in the Church of Christ for a century and a half. And there are still, well, as our movement tries to get away from some of these older topics like millennialism and things like that, cessationism keeps coming up because it's still something that people care about, even if they're not familiar with that term. Um, so I, without getting too much into the nitty gritty, I'd say throughout the Bible, uh, we actually see high points and low points of miraculous activity of God's involvement. And that includes the Old Testament and the New Testament that we see in the time of Moses, we see a lot of miracles done. Not as much in between at the time of Elijah and Elisha, we see a lot of miracles done. Not as much afterward. Um, yeah, if you're watching the video version of this, you're getting some fun hand motions from me. Uh, then we go into the, definitely nothing happened in the, the intertestamental period. And we get a lot with Jesus, a lot with the apostles, and um, steadily less as the church progresses. So historically, what we can see, in, even in the New Testament, there's not that much going on. Really uh, quick to interrupt. I, I, it's fascinating. Maybe you'll get to this. The, those are the, you know, you've just mentioned the three figures of the transfiguration, that this is, this is God uh, at being represented at his strongest there, but go ahead. Well, no, I mean, I think that, and you probably weren't even going to go this far, but the apostles are also there at the transfiguration. Good point. Yes. Um, but yeah, that's because these are the central figures of the Judeo-Christian faith. Moses, Elijah, Jesus, um, the law, prophets, and now Christianity. Yeah. But all that to say, it, it has highs and lows um, because it's for a specific purpose that God uses miraculous power. And um, we are no longer in one of those times when it has that purpose. And this is, and I hate to go too much into this because this is less about Old Testament and New Testament in that division. But Stephen, what other thoughts are you having on this topic? Well, um, do you guys think that... Uh... It's John 16, correct? It uh, says that miraculous gifts will cease. In, or am I making that up? Um, the, 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 the section of John 16 that is not included in some manuscripts, it's always italicized. 
or maybe that's in one of the Corinthians. Uh, I need. To... I'm, yeah, Corinthians is what I was thinking. Uh, is where I would go. Yeah, I think that it is. Uh, the, no, it's the part in John 16 that talks about being able to hold snakes and they will not bite you and all that. Yeah. That's Mark 16. Mark 16. Yeah. Yeah, because Mark has 16 chapters. John has what 21. Anyway, uh, so the do you? I say all that to say, uh, do you think that? Um, people use that scripture as a cop-out for why uh, we we don't recognize God's uh, interaction with us now? Or um, do you think that there's possibly another reason? Uh, and, you know, this, it's getting us a little bit off topic. So uh, let me just take it back to the, the Old Testament where we see, um, it, and Daniel and I may not agree on this, but I would say 50% of the Old Testament is in the first 11 chapters of it, as far as, you know, at least the timeline for sure. That is definitely the foundation for a lot of the stuff that um, we have to recognize that that is setting up um, a lot of the Christian principles that Christ uses as his foundation, whether he's using it as a frame of reference to his audience or not. Uh, but it gives us, um, I won't get into the scientific implications of it, but as far as um, gender roles, as far as how uh, a man is to conduct himself and a wife is to conduct herself and how they are to be in harmony and have God as the center of their relationship, all those things are really laid out in the first few chapters of Genesis and uh, the relationship that Noah had with God um, and what it means to be righteous in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, so uh, what do you guys think that I'm putting too much focus on uh, the, the beginning of God's relationship with people? And um, there's not much said about how mankind progressed to what they ended up being before the flood was sent. But we know that it had to be bad. Um, and so that is a major storyline of what happens because we can also see the parallelism between the ark uh, that saves us versus Christ's sacrifice. And I've heard sermons on that. I'm sure you all have as well, but I think it's a very pivotal moment. So I, I don't disagree with you in that they were really bad. Where I do disagree is that we, well, I would say that we can be as bad. I, I would say that I, I hate it when anyone says, oh, you know, this, this, the, the country's getting really bad right now or the world's just getting a whole lot worse. No, just every part of humanity since the first sin has been really bad. And there was one point where God wipes it out. And then he says, I'm never going to do that again. But it doesn't say that it's never going to get this bad again. It just says that I'm never going to destroy the world again. Right. And so God... God puts in a law that allows them to uh, allows his chosen people to start dealing with sin. Well, uh, I think but, we even have come close to what is what was described just by the phrase uh, every thought that they had was evil where I don't think that that is something that we're even close to where people at least have good intentions that even mm -hmm. if they are doing bad things. Uh, 
don't know. They, they can have a selfish root, but um, I wouldn't say it's evil. So, Stephen, you're getting us into something that we had discussed before we started recording, um, something that we might bring into this conversation of Old Testament and New Testament, which is the amount of time and effort that churches should spend studying the Old Testament versus the New Testament. Probably, I think it's fair to assume, as we did earlier, that most Christian churches are spending more time in the New Testament. And in some ways, that makes a lot of sense. But as you pointed out, Stephen, there is a lot of rich theology to be had in the Old Testament, particularly in those first 11 chapters. In fact, I think anytime you've probably seen like a salvation timeline of Christianity or the faith or whatever, of first there was uh, God created and then there was the fall. And then I feel like those timelines are really just describing the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And then, and then there was the nation of Israel and then Jesus came and it gets interesting after that. Um, should we spend more time on these sort of things or is there a reason that we spend more time in the new Testament? We should continue to do so. Uh, do we, I've heard some uh, teachers of mine say that by spending so much time in the new Testament, we lose sight of who God the father is um, because so much of the focus is on God, the son, and God, the spirit. And we forget that all of Christianity is about, and again, this is the words of others uh, that it's all about worshiping the father. The son directs the uh, worship and glory to the father. Um, that's the role of the son. So do you find merit in that? Um, or is there a reason we are a new Testament church um, and we're meant uh, to focus on the new Testament. I'll quickly say there's a reason why they print Bibles that have just the new Testament and Psalms and Proverbs, not to say that that's all you need, but because that is where the teaching is done uh, in scripture, where you're given examples on godly living. So there is a reason why we spend more time in the New Testament, um, because it, one, it's Christ's teachings. It's uh, how the church is supposed to um, build that community. There's a lot that can go into that, but just... Example the Old Testament, how am I supposed to know not to covet my donkey or my neighbor's donkey? <laughs> oh man, it, it, that's why uh, another I thing, another thing that I think is interesting about um, you made me think of well, if you live out in the country, that's a problem for you, but if you come to a city, that is a command that God has told us to spread out over the earth that I think humankind if you want to take that like as a, a still applicable command gathering into cities and not spreading out over the earth is that something that we're not doing right does that command still apply to us it's a topic for another day manifest destiny <laughs> no. Mike, what do you think um about the attention yeah so okay I think that um, given where Christians currently spend their time, we probably spend too much time in the New Testament. Um, just because, 
if I asked you, you know, what's the key message of name a book? Well, probably many Christians couldn't tell you the message of many of the New Testament letters. Um, they could probably tell you the message of the Gospels, but they couldn't tell you the, the message of First uh, and Second Thessalonians. Um, they could, they, they're more likely to be able to tell you the message of, of the New Testament letters than they are of any of the Old Testament books, uh, specifically thinking about the prophets or the message behind chronicles and praise. And, um, we're, just, we're just less educated there. Uh, so there's definitely a correction that needs to be made. That said, um, as far as you know, looking at what is the right balance to put forward, if I had to, to strike some balance, even though the Old Testament is much longer, you, know, you can read, you know, if you're doing your daily Bible reading, I think you get to October before you ever start in the New Testament. Um, I still think that we should spend 50%, maybe even a little bit more of our time in the New Testament. Uh, but, but even then, Daniel, I think you're exactly right, that in order to understand who I am as a sinner, um, who I am as God's creation, that has chosen to leave the presence of God. I, uh, I can understand that story by reading Romans chapter one and two, or by reading the story of Jesus and what he teaches, but I understand it best by reading Genesis, Exodus, uh, the, the Kings, uh, the, the prophets. So Michael, your point, uh, when you married, Sarah, can I say your name on the podcast? Are we trying to keep our spouses? She's good. She's good. Um, did she, so you met her um, at some point uh, in your college career? At Hardy? 909 Bible study. 909 Bible study. Um, <laughs> did she ever ask you about your, about before y'all met, about um, before you went to Harding? I assume the answer is yes. Yes, 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 okay. yes. She did. Uh, sorry, uh, rhetorical question. Just to make the point, to know anyone, um, you can't just know the part that you're involved in. Uh, mm. To gain a fuller knowledge, you look backward to understand them fully in everything that they've done. Stephen, I'm sorry I interrupted you. No, uh, Michael brought up Romans. I think Romans is a good example of a unique book. You're not going to find anything in the old testament that is like the book of romans and kind of like what y'all are both saying it is a reflection back on the old testament and it breaks it down and explains all the orthodoxy and orthopraxy that is that is taken as the old testament as a whole and it really breaks it down for you uh, for something to, here's all the main points, and this is what you're confused about. Let me clarify this. And the Old Testament doesn't take a second to really clarify anything for us, as far as I know, until you get into uh, books of, of Proverbs and maybe Ecclesiastes, or, yeah, Ecclesiastes will kind of uh, give you a grand picture on the view of life. But yeah, go ahead. So, Stephen, I completely agree. Now, let me also say this. I mean, I mean this word in the, the best sense of it. The three of us, we are very legalistic. We like rules. We like 
we like outlines. We, we like understanding theology. That's why we do this podcast. I would say that the majority of the world, and especially the majority of unchurched people, are more likely to, to, to get to know God through a story. And just as much as we can say that there's nothing like Romans, there's also nothing like Exodus that tells the progressive story of a people in captivity, of a God who rescues them, and once God rescues them, how he changes their life to form covenant with them. That's the gospel story, and you do not get that in the same way anywhere else in Scripture. So, Stephen, I agree with you. I, I want to go back to Romans. I want to spend a ton of time there. Um, but no, I agree. They're both unique. That's all I'm pointing right, out. Right, right, right. Romans does this. Exodus does that. I mean, every, uh, I wouldn't say every book, but that's why we have uh, sections of scripture, books of the law, and the law, its origin, God's people, and you got the prophets, more stories about God's people jump into New Testament. You got your gospel, you got your books of history, you got your letters, and book of Revelation. I mean, they're, they're unique in those grouping aspects, I think. Maybe we should have just started the podcast out there and been done with it. Yep, we've got different stuff all throughout the Bible. There you go. We're done. Um, so we're we're running low on time. I do want to take us back to a point made earlier and get y'all's thoughts on that before we have to close up, which is... Progressive the idea, theology? Yes, uh, or at least a progressive rip revelation. Revelation, uh, right. Uh, yeah, I think those might have different connotations. Uh, yes. So progressive revelation... In short, again, the idea that God reveals him more fully in the fullness of time, um, that God is revealing more about himself. And so while he may be uh, accommodating to an ancient people near the beginning of the Old Testament, a people that uses uh, violence just like their neighbors around them, we later see um, by the time of Christ and certainly later as the early church was pacifist for its first 350 so years that violence is probably violence is not the way of God. And even if you disagree with that specific example, I think y'all get the idea. What, what are y'all's thoughts on that? So I, I would say that um, a, cons- like a very conservative person might say something like, well, uh, Jesus had a progressive revelation where he said, you have heard it said this, but I tell you this, that he was progressing uh, the commandments that had been given to Moses. However, I think that the right interpretation there is that Jesus is saying that you heard Moses say this, but I tell you, he always, God himself always meant this. He always meant a deeper truth that was there. But Daniel, you're getting at very specific ideas of what we would consider um, outdated ways of, of living and how God does not directly challenge those ways. I, I, w- I would hesitate for us to say that God directly condones anything that he letter, later says is wrong, um, but that he would... Uh, that he would not chat, that he would not call them out of that type of lifestyle. I I find it hard to accept that. Um, I do 
realize that we live in a day and age where we find the old way, you know, the, the, the way that people lived thousands of years ago, totally unacceptable. Um, and my instant reaction is that, um, the, is that first of all, uh, God was not necessarily saying that every, everything that they were doing is right, but saying that when you find yourself in these situations, here's how you live. Um, it, I, I guess I don't have the same issue with violence that you do, Daniel. Um, I, I believe in just war theory, so that's part, part of my idea there. We could get into issues on gender roles, which I realize we do not have time for. The, the big one that I think is a real challenge uh, to Christians is slavery. Um, but then you get into issues like, well, their slavery wasn't like our slavery. It was more like, you know, a really big debt that you had to pay. Um, so there are ways to get around it. Are they airtight? Um, not necessarily, but I, I think that there's a good case to be made there. Oh, well, yeah, we'll talk about slavery another time, specifically how those examples, they were slave to the state, not slaves to an individual. I mean, both of those are bad. I'll go ahead and I'll push back on one point, uh, which is that God doesn't condone uh, things that he later tells us are bad or no good. Um, I think in, he does that all throughout the Bible, that he's constantly working with people. And while sometimes he does call them out on certain things, that he, uh, rec so like David gets called out on a sexual sin, but to say that that was David's only sin, and then there's all the countless other characters that God works through that don't get called out on anything as far as we know. Um, and their the, lack of being called out does not mean that we shouldn't view their sins as sin. Well, is that not what the point you were making though? That No, no, I was not making so. I get I get particularly angry at people who will say, "Well, uh, you're against you know different types of marriage, but you celebrate Abraham, and he was a polygamist." God never can just because God doesn't call Abraham out specifically for his polygamy doesn't mean that we don't see the negative consequences of his polygamy in Scripture. It's very clear that what he did caused great harm. So, so with that. Uh, Daniel, uh, what do you think is a takeaway? How should Christians view these issues practically? Do I study the New Testament? Do I study the Old Testament? How does this change my life? At the very least, I think this is a healthy exercise to reflect on the Old Testament and wrestle with the harder themes there. Um, beyond that, there's a there's so much more to learn about God through his Old Testament revelation that I think is invaluable. So I would start there. Stephen? Well, if my microphone is working, I would say that you just need to make sure that you are understanding the first think about the authors, the audience, what the message is being presented there and how God is wanting to tell that narrative uh, at whatever point in time and how it's, still relatable to you because God wrote it that way for a purpose. Um, but yeah, it's uh, something that you need to consume the Bible as a whole and not just discount it for uh, a certain audience because all of it is meant for you. 
the one thing I would offer up to our audience is that if you haven't spent a lot of time in the Old Testament, consider reading the Old Testament looking for Jesus. As you're reading through the stories, through the accounts of, of our forefathers of faith, uh, consider consider asking the question, where does Jesus appear in this story? Where is the redemptive story of Jesus and how can that change my life? That's it for today. We'll have a brand new episode for you next week. Check out our blog at religionandstory.com and leave us your feedback. See you next time.